I want to talk to you guys tonight about the idea of last words. I feel like last words tend to be very important. I feel like a lot of times when somebody is dying and they have their last words, they use it to make some sort of request. Now, you know, when I was at camp, I never thought I would die, but there was always in the back of my mind, like, maybe bears. Like, maybe at some point, bears will attack, they'll just run in and grab me. So I was thinking about it, and you know, if I'm on the ground, and I've been mauled by a bear, and I'm bleeding out, and my friends are looking at me, and they're like, Aaron, bro, what can we do for you? Like, can we do anything, man, anything? You know, if it's my last words, I could probably mess with them a little bit, right? Because let's do whatever I want. So I'd look at him, and I'd look at my friends, I'd look at Steve, and I'd be like, Steve, oh dear Steve, you've always been such a good friend to me. What I want you to do, and he's like, yeah, man, anything. I want you to paint your entire body blue and run down the street and scream, I'm a blueberry. And he'd be like, what? What are you talking about? And I'd just be like, oh yeah, do it. And then, oh, I'd die. Or I'd look at Rick, and I'd be like, oh, dear sweet Rick. Sweet, sweet Rickolas. <laughs> Here's what I want you to do, man. I want you to open up. You've always been, you've always been so giving, Rick. I, really, I want you to open up an orphanage for baby turtles. Because without fathers, how will they ever come out of their shells? Okay. Uh, yeah, thanks. Yeah, whatever. Last words, though, they really are serious business. Because someone who is important to you, when they pass, you want to be there for those words. You want to hear what they're saying. Because you love that person, and you want to be able to carry out their wishes. Now, I wonder how many of you know Jesus' last words. Anybody? Anybody want to try? Jesus' last words. What? It is finished. So as Jesus hangs on the cross before he gives his last breath, he utters the words, it is finished. But Jesus got a do-over. Because remember, he comes back from the dead. So he gets another set of last words. What he says is what we call the Great Commission. As Jesus is with his disciples, he's risen from the dead, he gathers them together, and he's ascending to heaven, and he says, guys, I've got some words for you. So that's in Matthew 28. Look at verse 16. It says, Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. And when they saw him, they worshipped, but some doubted. Thomas. Absolutely Thomas. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing. You know what? Let's start over. Let's read it together. Start at verse 19. I'll cue you in. Then Jesus came to them and said, start it with me, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Verse 19, read it with me. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Will you pray with me? Dear Lord, 
as we come tonight to study your gospel, your good news, and what it means for our lives and what it means for your kingdom and how we fit into that story, I pray tonight that you would bless these words, that you would speak mightily, and that you would cut us deep to the heart and show us things that we long to see, your plan, your purpose, your vision for us as your followers, as your disciples. Please, Lord, bless this night. In your name, amen. So this is amazing. These words that we read, this is amazing. Jesus is saying to the disciples his last words. And for the disciples, this is serious business. And so for us, it should be serious business as followers of Jesus. So let's break it down. We're going to unpack these verses. We're going to find out what they mean. Are you with me? All right. Verse 19 says, therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations. Now, Trevor talked a little bit about what it means to be a disciple. And I love just the imagery of a follower, not a fan, a follower. Back in the day, the Jewish rabbis had fans, or not fans, they had followers. They had disciples. And so these guys, like to kind of put it in perspective, like they had a guy they looked up to, their rabbi, their teacher, and they said, whatever you say, like, man, I'm writing it down. I'm going to like go home and memorize it. Like, I'm going to do it. I'm going to apply it. It'd be like if you like were, anyone here like math? Any math fans? Nerds. <laughs> I hate math. I, I just, I stink at it. So I, I hate on you. I'm sorry. But um, imagine if you loved your math teacher so much. You were like, Mr. Fenderson, all the equations that you spout out, you're just dropping these equational truth bombs. Like, I, I need that. I'm writing it down. I'm going to go home and just look at it and study it. And like, wherever you go, I'm going to go with you. I'm going to follow you to the drugstore. And he's like, no, please leave me alone. Like, I already put in my time at school. Like, wait, don't, no. <laughs> these ancient rabbis had these disciples and they were their followers. They were the followers, and they said, we will do whatever you say. We will learn. We will love. We will listen. And listen, you are the next generation of disciples. It wasn't just about the 12. It's about the 12 plus the 350 in here plus all the other disciples out there. You are the next generation of disciples. It's not about being a fan of Jesus, where you're just liking the things he says and scrolling on like you do all of the nice inspirational Bible verse quotes people post on Instagram. Oh, that's nice. Oh, that's nice. Thank you for that, Jesus. No, it's these are the words of life. This is what I live for. This is what I die by. This is my gospel. This is my truth. It is your words. Your words are the words of life. You know, the world can be a little bit confused about the word Christian means. They do interviews, sometimes street interviews, and they ask, when you think of Christian, what do you think? And you know what people say? Number one, Christians are judgmental. They're hateful. They just sit around, they hate on us sinners. They just, man, they, all they do is they just condemn us, condemn us, condemn us. People are a little mixed up. And there's other people who believe that to be a Christian, what it really means is just, oh, I go to church. Yeah, I go to church, you know, Christmas and Easter. I'm a Christian. I believe, yeah, sure, Jesus died for me. Thanks for the get out of hell card, or thanks for the get out of hell free card. Thanks for that, Jesus. But Jesus calls us to be something more. You know, back in Jesus's day, after he had died, the word Christian, the way it came to be was it was ancient trash talk. It was the Romans looking at these Jews who followed Jesus, and they said, these guys are like little Jesuses, little mini-me Jesuses, they're little Christians. That's where the word came from because they acted and they talked and they looked and everything they did was Christ-like. This is what we are called to. Are you with me? Yeah. So 
what does it mean to be a disciple of Jesus? What were the disciples all about? You know, when they first started their career as disciples, they were fishermen. They were casting their nets. They were down catching fish. These are just hardworking Jewish guys trying to make a living. And Jesus comes and he says, hey, he, he probably sounded kind of crazy. Can you imagine? You're trying to catch fish, and this guy walks up, and he's like, hey, uh, hey, I know you're trying to catch fish, but what if we caught men? Huh? Yeah, let's get some nets. Let's get these guys. Well, yeah, let's get all the men. Like, you're like, what? Like, I don't want to catch people. That's weird. Like, no. <laughs> but they followed him. There was something about him that was so captivating. He says, let's go make disciples. Let's be fishers of men. You know, it, to be a Christian, how many of you guys are church kids? Any church kids here? You grew up in the church? Okay, yeah, me too. My dad was a pastor. My mom ran children's ministry. Like, I knew every Bible story. Every time someone got up to preach, I was like, you can't teach me anything. I already know the application. What are you teaching on, David and Goliath? Is this going to be another one about how weird God wants us to face our giants? Like, oh, so great. Like, I, I thought I knew what every study was going to be about. Maybe that's you're here tonight. You're like, oh, you can't tell me anything. Listen, God has a word for you tonight. To be a Christian, to be a church kid, a lot of times when you're born into the faith, you're like a soldier with amnesia. You wake up on the battlefield and there's bombs going off and grenades flying and, and you're, you're like, you've got a gun in your hand and you know that you're supposed to fight, but you're like, I don't know why I'm here. I don't know what this is about. Someone just handed me a gun. Like, what is going on? And sometimes when we're born into the church, this is how it is. Our parents are just like, here's your Bible, go to church, be a good Christian. You're like, I don't even know like what this is all about. Like maybe that's you. Like maybe you're like a senior in high school right now, but you've just been faking your entire walk because you just, you still don't get it. You know, it's so much better to know what you're fighting for. It's so much better to say, I know who I am and what I stand for. I know, I know what I am fighting for. And Jesus says, what we are fighting for is souls. We are fighting for the lost. We are fighting for the people in our world who are separated from God and need a savior. We are fighting to reconcile them to God through the work of Jesus Christ. Is that your mission? That's what I would ask you now. Is that your mission? And maybe to ask, do you have a mission at all? When you examine your life, is, is, is there a mission at all? You know, Jesus really, really loves you. You know, he really does. And he didn't make you to be his slave or his errand boy or servant girl. He made you to be a son and daughter. And there's a huge difference between a son and daughter and a servant. You know what I mean? Like, what does a servant do? Like, a servant in a house of a rich man, a servant comes down and, you know, has the food and serves it. You know, the servant, like, brings in the mail and says, here you go. But what does a son or daughter do? The son and daughter sits at the table and eats the food. The son or daughter grabs the mail and opens up and says, oh, yes, it's for me. God has called you to be with him. We are for him, but first we are with him. Absolutely. And so we are called to advance the kingdom. Now, this term, advance the kingdom, what that means, it, it's kind of like you can think of it as a military term almost. When there was an ancient kingdom, you all have crowns on your shirts right now. When you had a king and he had a kingdom, to advance that kingdom, he had to do it through a few ways. One was through conquest, to go and violently gather an army and say, we're going to get these knights, we're going to go together, and we're going to advance the kingdom, we're going to slay the enemy, we're going to take their land, we're going to take their possessions, we're advancing our kingdom, we're building our kingdom up more. 
And yet, Jesus does not call us to advance the kingdom of God through violence. He calls us to advance the kingdom of God through love. Our world is corrupted with sin and violence and hatred and racism and just all these terrible things we see in the news every day when we turn on the TV. And Jesus says, no, 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 we gotta take back ground. We gotta work together for the kingdom. There's people out there who are dying, who need to hear the gospel, and we are called. And for some of you guys, again, if you've been born into the church, it's tough, it really is. You know, if you've got two different people, let's go medieval again, and we've got on one side, you've got a guy who was born and his dad was a soldier. And so at a very young age, the dad says, here's your sword, son, here's your shield, we're gonna train you up, we're gonna fight, you're gonna be in this war. And, and you're just like, 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 I don't even know like, who the enemy is and what we're fighting, like, what is this? Like, I guess I'll just do it because my dad wants me to. And on the other side, you've got a guy who's walking through a field and he gets attacked by the enemy. And the enemy comes upon him and the enemy comes to slay him. And then the king rides up on a white horse and the king goes in front of the sword and the king takes a stab wound for that guy, rips out the sword and then defeats the enemy and then turns to that guy and says, hey, you follow me. Like what situation makes you wanna follow the king more? The first one or the second one? The second one, absolutely. And if, if you're here and you've been born into the church, that doesn't change the fact that Jesus took that stab wound for you. That doesn't change the fact. Just because you didn't have a story where you were like, oh yeah, I was like, I was a prostitute. I was a drug dealer. I was doing all this stuff. Like sometimes you, we go to camp and we hear someone give a message, some testimony where they're just like, oh, I had this gnarly story. I was always a kid who was like, yeah, I, uh, I lied a couple times when I was like in fifth grade. Like, such a gnarly testimony, and I was just, you know what I mean? But that doesn't change the fact that without Jesus, I was doomed. I was destined for hell. It doesn't matter that my dad was a pastor. Without Jesus, if Jesus was never in the picture, I have no hope. And so it doesn't change the fact that Jesus took the wound for us, and he turns to you, and he says, hey, follow me. He's worth following. You know, for me, a lot of times, I used to wonder, like, what's my purpose in life? You know, like seriously, like I was a weird kid. Like if you know anybody like who knew me back in the day, uh, like Trevor or anyone else, like ask me, like they'll tell you like, yeah, he was weird. I, I was the weird counselor. I don't know if any of you guys brought up like the guy who's like, he's the, yeah, he's, he's with those kids, you know? I was that guy, you know, like crazy long hair and just, you know, wore weird clothes and liked to talk about Pokemon and video games. And I was that guy, you know? And I just wondered like, what's my purpose growing up? You know, I didn't have good luck with girls, didn't really have a lot of friends, like really struggled with like um, kind of just image and self and like who am I and am I worth anything? Like just all this stuff. You know, you know what did it for me is, you know, when I was 15 years old, I came up to this camp, not actually to be a counselor or to serve the Lord. I came up for money. <laughs> I got hired to film a video. Um, Trevor paid me to come up here when I was 15 to shoot a winter camp video. And I did not want to serve anybody. I did not want to um, love on anybody. I just was like, sweet, like I can make money by holding a camera. Awesome. But as I was up here, the Lord spoke to me. And as I was dealing with all these anxieties and worries and cares, and then talking to like sixth grade boys who were dealing with the exact same thing as me, the Lord was like, this is what life is about. It's about reaching people. It's about loving people. 
And the Lord was like, hey, Aaron, stop caring so much about yourself. Stop obsessing over yourself. And what am I worth? Who will love me? Who will I date? Who will I marry? Like, what's my career going to be? What's my future? And the Lord was like, care about others. Have compassion. Love on people. And that camp changed my life. And I've been serving in youth ministry ever since. And, and I look, and, and I can say now, looking at my life, that I understand purpose because I understand what calling means. Calling means you know who the king is and you know what he wants you to do. That doesn't mean growing up to be a pastor or a pastor's wife or a children's ministry worker. It's not limited to that. We need people, sorry, a fly just flew into my ear, so if I look like I spazzed out for a second, I'm not having a seizure up here, okay? <laughs> but we need people, we need CEOs of big companies who follow Jesus. We need McDonald's workers who follow Jesus. We need janitors and car salesmen and like IRS agents and like magazine employees and beauty school workers and people who cut hair and like, I'm just rambling off random jobs. We just need, we need people who love Jesus out there in the world. We need people preaching the gospel through their actions. And God looks at you, a generation of young people, and, and if you're here and you're just like, I want to serve Jesus, but I don't really like, want to go into like, the ministry. Listen, every single Christian is called into the ministry of ministering to people. It doesn't matter what your job is. That's called vocation. Your calling is you serve Jesus Christ with your actions, with your words, with your life, and he has so much in store for you. But you might be here and you're like, you know what? I'm just a high school kid. Like, how can I do that? How can I honor God that way? How can I measure up? A lot of times we feel like we can't measure up because we have too much sin in our life or we're too inadequate. Maybe you were like me and you looked in the mirror almost every day as a young person and you just saw someone who was worthless. That was me. I looked in the mirror. I didn't like how I looked. I didn't like how I sound. I, I didn't like anything about me. And I put on a front, you know, and I acted like everything was okay, but I was just like, man, what's my purpose? What am I all about? Like, I just, I can't do anything. God looks at you and he says, you're my beloved child. Come with me. Let's do something great. But a lot of times you can't. You think you can't. You say, you know what? I can't serve God because I am a sinner. And so many times sin pushes us away from God. Our sin makes us fall away from him. We think I can't get close to him because his holiness is too great and I'm too much of a sinner. But listen, your sin should never push you away from God. Your sin should push you to him. Your sin should push you to the one who can forgive it. Your sickness should push you to the doctor, not away. He loves you. And so many of you here, there's, there's those of you here, and you know, you, you know, you know you're called to follow Jesus. You know you're called to discipleship. You know you're called to do great things. But you know what you're saying right now? You're lying to yourself. This is what you're saying. I'm going to tell you exactly what's going on. You're saying, yeah, I mean, I want to follow Jesus, but there's just too much messed up about my life right now. There's too many issues. I just, I can't. I've got to deal with me. I've got to just like hunker down and fix all my problems and then I can follow Jesus. Read the Gospels. The 12 disciples were a mess, a collective giant mess. Those guys were gnarly. They were always fighting at one another and Peter was always saying the dumbest things. Like it was just, it was gnarly. Jesus didn't look at them and say, hey, you guys, get your life together and then follow me. No, he said, follow me and watch as I revolutionize your existence and your life. Jesus is calling you tonight to follow him, no matter what you're dealing with. Follow now.
In 1 Peter 2, verse 9, it says, you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. And you might hear that and you might say, you know what, man, I'm not holy. I'm not holy. Like, no way. Like, my pastor, yeah, he's holy. But me, no, I'm not. And you know what? We think of holiness as perfection. We think of holiness as like, you know, we, have you ever read that verse in the Bible where God is like, be ye holy as I am holy. I feel like I just channeled like either Mufasa or Darth Vader. <laughs> Jesus, I am your father. Um, that was weak. But you know what I mean? We get that thing where we're like, God's like, be holy like me. And you're like, I can't. You're just, you're perfection. I'm a teenager. I am just, I sin every two seconds. Come on. I can't be holy. And so we give up because we think it's unattainable. Holiness is like this, this far off thing where it's like, I can't be that, so I just won't try. Guys, guys, holiness. When the Bible calls you to be holy, it's not talking about you. Like, it's not saying be perfect because you can't. You can't. You, you can't. I'm sorry, but you can't. Ha, raise your hand if you've ever been perfect. Yeah, you haven't. Liar. You're already, not, you're already lying. Not perfect. Guys, listen, when the Bible talks about holiness, when it says you be holy, it's not saying you be perfect. Holiness is defined as set apart for a purpose. When you look at God, I think we saw it in one of the videos, but God, he's kind of like the sun in the sense of the sun is this object that is different. It is unique than anything else in our solar system. It is bright, it is hot, it has just this energy emitting out of it. If you get too close to the sun, what happens? You burn up and die. And just like God, he is unique, he is powerful, he's the most amazing, wonderful, majestic, just thing in the universe. He's the greatest person of all time, and yet his holiness is so great that for us sinners to get close to it, we'd burn up like if we tried to go travel to the sun right now. God is set apart for a purpose. He is perfect and holy. That's part of it. He's perfect, but he's holy. He's set apart. You know, I have a tea kettle. I like tea. I keep a tea kettle in my office because I like tea, and that tea kettle is holy. It is set apart for the purpose of tea. I don't make coffee in it, I make tea. So, that holiness was defiled by a student or two or three. I'm still waiting to find out who. But it was defiled. Someone snuck into my office, took the light bulbs out of all my lamps, put them in my tea kettle, and then filled it with Diet Coke. Now, in the summer, I don't make much tea because it's hot. <laughs> so, like, three months go by. I haven't made any tea. It starts getting colder. I'm like, time for some tea. <laughs> I go to my tea kettle, open it up, and there's light bulbs and Diet Coke. And I was like, this is, this is wrong. This is unholy. <laughs> Guys, we are called to be set apart for a purpose, to serve the Lord, not just for him, but with him. And as you, as a believer, set yourself apart for that purpose, you find yourself walking with Jesus and his perfection rubs off on you. And you find yourself starting to resist sin. You find yourself starting to not give in to those temptations. You find yourself starting to love others. 
And so when God says, be ye holy as I am holy, he's not saying, hey, you, you better get it together. You better be perfect. Like, I've got a list of 10 commandments and like a 500 more you don't even know about. You better be good. He's saying, hey, walk with me. Set yourself apart for my purposes and watch what I do. You know, this can sound like a lot of responsibility. Does anyone here have a hard time with responsibility? Raise your hand if you, like, if you just straight up don't like responsibility, raise your hand. Anybody? Like, you would just love a life with no responsibilities. Hakuna Matata. Just, yes. Just a hammock and, like, eating worms, all, I guess. I don't know. You know, for me, I had an interesting experience. There's a field trip that my school takes. Uh, well, I'm not in school. I'm, like, in fifth grade in the time of this story. Fourth, fourth grade, fifth grade. Our school went to the Star of India. Anyone ever go on that? Yeah, remember that, that, that boat? The majestic star of India. Come and stay on the star of India. Oh, so majestic. So I go to the star of India as a fifth grader, and we stay overnight, and I'm with my class. And it's this total reenactment of like what life on a ship was like. And um, so we've got this crazy old lady who's like the captain of the ship, you know? She's got like one eye, or she just squinted all the time. I don't know. But she looks at me. And for some reason, she liked something about me. I was this short little kid with, you know, a little frumpy, curly head. They called me Acorn Head. That was my nickname. Yeah. And they looked at me, and they're like, and the, the lady, she goes, Ah, oh, lad, you got a spark in your eye. Lad, I'm going to give you some responsibility. But first, I'm going to give you the hammer. And she pulls out this gavel, which I don't know what has to do with being a sea captain, but she pulls out a gavel, and she gives it like, this is the hammer. And then she starts listing these responsibilities, but I was just so enamored that I had gotten this sweet hammer. I was like, I totally missed everything she told me to do, <laughs> you know? So a day goes by and I had some responsibilities. I don't know what they were. I didn't do them. So the next day, she calls me in front of all my classmates and goes, oh, lad, you failed this ship, you failed this crew, and you failed me. Give me the hammer. She takes the hammer from me. Then she gives it to this kid named Michael, who was like my worst enemy back then. I was like, Satan is real. <laughs> I kid you not, I am not, I promise you, I am not embellishing this story. I would not lie to you. This is real. No, it gets worse. <laughs> I turn around to face my classmates. I start walking towards them just with this look of utter shame on my face. A seagull flies yonder overhead, <laughs> right on my acorn head. I was so bummed. Listen, we don't like responsibility because often it leads to embarrassing failures, right? Are you with me? It leads to like letting people down. Oh my gosh, I hate letting people down. I used to say yes to everyone who asked me to do anything because I was just so just afraid of letting anyone down. I was a total yes man. And then I would constantly let people down and I just, I felt a failure all the time in my life. And a lot of times when someone comes to you as a young Christian and says, hey, listen, follow Jesus, be holy, be set apart, like just be pure, be awesome, do all this stuff. A lot of times what we think, we think of this responsibility as like this thing that crushes us. We think of that responsibility to be a Christian as just this giant boulder. You know, if your view of Jesus is Jesus is standing there in front of this giant boulder called responsibility, and he says, hey, you, pick that up. Oh, you can't? You wimp. I'm going to go find someone better. Get out of my sight. If that's your view of Jesus, listen, 
I want to encourage you. Being a follower of Jesus is not so much about your responsibility, but it's about your response to his ability. Because he's the one who does the work, you just step into it. So think of that boulder. God's not like, hey, hey, pick that up. God's like, hey, uh, <laughs> look what I can do. <laughs> yeah. And then he says, hey, uh, why don't you come over here and uh, put your hand right there underneath mine. Yeah, I got this. We got this with the king, right? Yeah, I, that was like kind of like a little half cheer from like one side of the room. That was really cool. With the king. I'm excited about it. If you're here today and you're burdened down with responsibility, know that Jesus is calling you to step into the work he is already doing. He's not saying you go do it. He's like, hey, I'm doing it. Why not do it with me? Like, hey, I'm loving your parents. Why not love them with me? Hey, I'm just being responsible in the world and doing great things. Why not do them with me? Why not love your neighbor with me? Why not do your homework on time with me? Why not be like the best, most pure, respectful boyfriend of all time with me and treat that girl like she's a precious daughter? Why not do that? I mean, why not? <laughs> what do you have to lose? God has set you apart for his purpose. So many times we want to be set apart for our own purposes. Isn't that the truth? Sometimes we want to be set apart for our own purposes. Guys, you know what I've noticed this generation is about even more than mine was, and mine was about it too? It's all about anonymity. It's all about being anonymous. No one to tell me what to do. No adults to know what's really going on in my life. My own little world set apart where everything is secret and I know what's going on. And my best friends, the ones who have access, they know what's going on, but no one else really does. We're the Snapchat generation where, you know, hey, go for it because it'll be gone without a trace. I'm just saying. A lot of times we sacrifice what God is trying to do in our own life because we have our own God and it's the God of privacy and freedom. The freedom to do whatever I want. No rules, no boundaries, no accountability, no adult to lovingly step in my life and say, hey, I love you, but I see these things in your life that are not good and so I ask you to follow Jesus. Some of us, we just, we don't want that. We want the freedom. And at God, we learned this morning, God calls us to community to be in communion with him and one another. The Trinity is the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And I'm so blessed that they asked us to join into who they are, to be a part of who they are, to be in their family. Not just to be separated. I'm God, I'm amazing. No, it's to say, hey, I love you. Why not join into this? Why not be a part of this holy family of God? And we are called to this, but we have a desire to be free, to be our own person, to have our own rules. And really... Our desire to be anonymous is the gateway to letting the power of hell into our life. Think about it. If you don't believe me, go back to page one, two, and three of the Bible. Adam and Eve, they're in a garden. Who are they with? Yahweh, God, their, um, their creator, their friend, the one that loves them, he's with them. And he knows them and they know him. They are deeply known and loved. There are no secrets between them. Everything is out in the open, and it's beautiful, and it's amazing. But what, is the what does the serpent offer them? What does he offer them? Fruit? 
Yeah, but not just fruit, independence, anonymity. He says to them, listen, take this fruit. You know what it'll give you? You won't need God. I mean, sure, you can still be friends with him, but you don't need him. Take this fruit, and you will become like him. You will know the things that he knows. You'll be able to do the things that he does. You, you, like, he's got you on a chain. He's got you naming the animals and taking care of the garden. No, you've got more in store. You've got, you've got better things on your plate. Don't do what God wants you to do. Do what you want to do. Do what I want you to do. And he offers them the fruit. And that simple act of defiance, that simple act of saying, yes, I want to be anonymous. Yes, I want to enter into my own story and not necessarily have it be about God's story. But what's my story like? And now we know what their story is like. It's our story. It's the story of a corrupted, broken world where brother kills brother on a daily basis. Our world is rocked by the power of sin and our lives are rocked by the power of sin. I don't know about you, but I know that I'm corrupted by sin. I know that I have issues and problems. I see it every day. My wife sees it every day. My friends see it every day. And yet, God invites me into his story. He says, I know you're broken, but I want to invite you onto a journey where I am fixing you on a daily basis. I'm inviting you to take part in my great story for my glory, and you join in, and now you take a part in the glory. You share in the joy. It's like, I'm gonna give you guys a really stupid analogy, if that's okay. It's a total like junior high analogy, but just to break it down, it's like if your dad owned an ice cream shop and invited you to work in it, so you're distributing like frozen liquid joy to people with like cookie dough on it. Oh, that sounds so good right now. Oh. But not only that, your dad says, hey, check it out. I don't want you just to serve this ice cream. You get to eat it for free. Yeah, for realsies. Totally. Yes. I'm excited about that. God has invited me not just to serve others, but as I'm serving others, I am taking part in the joy and the friendship and the community. Some of you guys here, I hope you're hearing this. If you don't have this, I hope there's an aching longing in your heart for the freedom that comes in knowing God in the freedom that comes from not just being this lone ranger on your own, but inviting God into your story and accepting his invitation into his. God is calling us. He invites us into his story, not as supporting background roles, but as main characters, as beloved children of the king, his sons and daughters. Jesus invites you to be with him. Are you with me? Are you with him? Yes. So, he invites us to do a couple things. He invites us to worship with him. Did you know Jesus worshiped God? Isn't it incredible, he is God, and yet he prays to God, and he gives praise to the Father. Jesus invites us to join him in worshiping the Father. Jesus invites us not just to love him, but to love with him. Jesus invites us not just to serve him, but to serve with him. He invites us to walk with him, and he invites us to reach the lost for him. And that's what we're talking about tonight, the Great Commission. Now, some of us might say, that's a tall order. That's kind of scary, like to be involved in the redemption of humankind, to be involved in rescuing the lost. Is anyone here freaked out by that? Anybody? I kind of am. I'll admit it. To be like, like assigned, like, hey, there's a world dying out there. Go. Go. That's, that's a tall order. 
And for some of us, we might say, that's too scary. We might say, someone else should do it. You know, Billy Graham, I think he's got it covered. Or maybe Greg Laurie, that guy knows what he's doing. Or Levi Lusco, that guy can preach the gospel. Guys, if that's what you're thinking, if it's just someone else will do it, you're being robbed. You're being robbed of the joy that comes in fulfilling the good news commission to preach the gospel to all nations and make disciples of all. You're being robbed. I want you guys to picture something. I want you guys to picture this. So we're in this building right now. Let's just imagine we're in this chapel. And all of a sudden, this white just light comes and just fills the whole room. And it's glowing and it feels so warm. And it's just like, oh, this is awesome. It's the presence of God, like this light. It's so beautiful. And then maybe someone in the back is like, we should probably open the door so that this light can like go out and like other people can see it. Because you're looking around and you're looking, you're like, man, that's weird. All of the doors and all of the windows are boarded up. That's very strange. It's a big light room. But all the doors and windows are boarded up. So your friend goes to the back and tries to open the door and says, hey, let's, let's let other people see the light. And someone in the room screams, don't open that door. Don't let the darkness in. Close that door. Keep it all in. So many times, so many times we, the church, are this way. We think church is just about us. It's just about, man, I really want some of that light, but don't let the darkness in. Don't let anyone in who could mess with the system. Don't let anyone in who's an outcast. Don't let the sinner in because their sin is nasty and we don't want to deal with that. And we do this. Guys, when has darkness ever defeated light? Never. It's like science. Like, can you have like, you know how you have flashlights? Can you have a dark light? Can you like turn it on and like cut through light and create darkness? No. Light can never be defeated by darkness. Light always wins. And we are called to be the light. But we do this all the time. You know, I was talking to a, a, a mom, and she was, this is years ago, she was talking to me, and she was like, Pastor Aaron, I just want to tell you, I'm so glad that my kids go to your youth group because everyone there is so holy. You know, my daughter, she went to the youth group down the street, and you know what she told me? There were kids there who were swearing. They were saying naughty words. That's bad. So I'm glad they're with you. <laughs> you know what I said to her? I said, I want those kids who are swearing in my youth group. Straight up, like, I want some rough around the edge kids who don't know the Lord to come and hear the gospel and get saved. Like, I don't know about you guys, how your groups are, but my, my group, I love you guys, but hey, Vista kids, like, let's, let's admit, we're the same group of kids who have been coming to this church for years. Like, those of you guys who are in the high school group, you're the brothers and sisters of the kids who used to be in the high school group. You know what, I, you know what I'm praying for? I love you guys, but I'm, I, you guys have been trained for years by me and by the counselors and by the other pastors. I'm praying that the Lord sends us some people who don't know Jesus at all, and they come in, and they're, they're just foul-mouthed, and they're crazy, and they're just, I'm praying that they come so that you guys can show them who Jesus is and what love really looks like. That's what I'm praying for for you guys. You know, 
my, uh, my church has a vision, you know, that comes from the senior pastor who's my dad. He says, um, our church vision is upreach, inreach, and outreach. Upreach is worship to God. Inreach is like fellowship, you know, home fellowships and potlucks and men's breakfast, you know, all that good stuff. Outreach is reaching the lost world. And, you know, in my first year of being a youth pastor, what I realized was like the way I was doing things in my youth group as a junior high pastor is I did a lot of upreach. We did worship and Bible studies. I did a lot of inreach. We did home fellowships. But I was like, man, like we don't really share the gospel. Like I don't. I don't know if my kids are. I tell them to, but I don't know if they are. And many churches, a lot of times we lack outreach because our focus is about comfort, fun, and entertainment for our members and not rescue mission for the people outside the doors. And I am guilty of doing that. Sometimes, this is kind of who we are. Imagine this. Imagine you're in an ocean and you're drowning and there's people all around you drowning. And Jesus comes up on the shore and he throws you a life preserver. And you grab onto it and you're like, oh, Jesus, thank you. And he pulls you up and you're like, thank you for saving me. This is awesome. And you start drying off. And then Jesus says, okay, but look, there's more people like here. Here's another life preserver. Let's keep rescuing people. Let's keep going. And you're like, no, 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 I'm, I'm good. Like, I'm okay. Like, I'm, I'm saved now. I'm gonna go on the island and like build a hut. And like, you know, it's gonna be super sweet. And like, I'll have a little section of the hut that's like dedicated to you because you totally saved my life, bro. Thanks so much. I'm gonna like slap a Jesus fish sticker on my little hut. It's gonna be so rad, Jesus. And Jesus is just like, what are you doing? Like, there's, there's people, there's people. I heard a youth pastor once who was up on the stage and he's teaching a group like this and he had a bunch of goldfish on the stage. And um, he's talking about just like, guys, we need to have a heart to like reach people for the gospel. Just we need to do it. And then out of nowhere, he like reaches into the goldfish bowl and just chucks them into the audience. And all the kids are like, what is going on? And the guy says, you got to rescue the goldfish. They're going to drown. They're out of the water. They need the water. You got to get them back in. And the kids start going crazy. And everyone's running around like, we got to save the goldfish. And I think one of the kids like stepped on one of them. But you know, the rest were okay. And they grabbed him and they got him in the bowl and everyone cheered and clapped. And, and then the pastor was like, when was the last time you cared as much about someone's soul as you did about those goldfish right now? And I was just like, oh, oh, I need to go pray for like a week. Oh my, oh, conviction. We live in a consumer church culture where our focus is only, how can I be blessed? How can I come to church? Man, I hope the pastor is funny. I hope the message is funny. Like, I'm not gonna stay awake during camp during this message unless it's funny, unless he makes me laugh. If not, you know, it's on him and I'm just gonna sleep. Anybody? Yeah? Maybe right now? Wake up, okay? Maybe our focus is just, we sit and we're like, man, I'm showing up to church today because I need a blessing. I need a blessing. Just, man, Lord, bless me through this message because I'm just tired and weary and I need a blessing. Yes. Blessings rain down. And we just, and it's like there's people who need the blessings. We have so many blessings, don't we? Like we just, we, we're like at the Christian buffet right now. We're just filling up every day. It's like nonstop eating. We're, guys, we're getting fat up here at camp. We're turning in just a big old Christians. 
And we are called to go and exercise our faith and preach the gospel. When our focus is only how can I be blessed by church, something is fundamentally wrong. Keith Green, one of my legendary heroes. Anybody Keith Green fan? Yeah? Yes. So Keith Green has this song called Asleep in the Light. Every time I hear it, I am just like, oh, Lord, why? Why did I have to hear this song? This is what he says. I'm going to quote the lyrics. Keith Green, musician in the 70s, died at the age of 28 in a plane crash, lived his life like crazy for Jesus, got rescued from drug addiction, and just got on fire and just burned out in a fiery plane crash. Just this guy. Just, ugh. This is what he says. Asleep in the light. Do you see... Do you see all the people sinking down? Don't you care? Don't you care? Are you going to let them drown? How can we be so numb not to care if they come? We close our eyes and pretend the job's done. Bless me, Lord. Bless me, Lord. You know, that's all I ever hear. No one aches. No one hurts. No one even sheds one tear. But he cries. He weeps. He bleeds. And he cares for your needs. And you just lay back and keep soaking it in. Can't you see it's such sin? And then he says this amazing line. The world is sleeping in the dark that the church just can't fight because it's asleep in the light. How can we be so dead when we've been so well fed? Oh, gosh. Come on. I'm convicted right now. That's good because we've been called for something more than just filling pews and chairs every week. You guys are called for a purpose. You guys are chosen. You know why we like movies where like, have you noticed like in every Disney movie and like The Matrix and Star Wars, it's always like, the universe is crumbling. There's no hope. Oh, you're our only hope. You're the one. You're divergent. (laughs) It's time for you to enter into the hunger maze virgin games. (laughs) Yeah. We're called to something greater. We like those stories where it's like, you're the one, you're the one we need because that's who you were made to be. You were made to be the one. God's calling and you're the one. But like Jonah, we run. We do. I do. You know, we think of church as a fortress to keep us safe, but really, the Bible says a mighty fortress is our God. It's not the church that's to be our fortress, it's our God. And so for us, the church it's not a place of protection from the, yad, or the bad, yucky outside world. The church is a training ground where we come in, we get filled up, and we go out and we change the world. Now, anyone here a sports person? Sports person. I think the term is athlete. <laughs> that just shows you that I'm not. I get asked to speak at FCAs all the time, and I'm like, really? Like, look at me. <laughs> Come on. Um, I, t- I, I played basketball for like a year. I like stood at the top of the key and waited for the ball to come to me. But Russell Frazier was like seven feet tall in like the seventh grade. So he got the ball every time. So that didn't work. Uh, um, football. Showed up for the first day of football practice. Evan Wickham, my football coach. What on earth? <laughs> different place, different time, <laughs> different hairstyle. Just, it was crazy. Um, I show up to football practice and Evan says, all right, run. And I say, all right, no. And I left and I never came back. So I'm not, I'm not a sports guy, but I will, I will tell you a sports analogy. Are you with me? Okay, sports analogy. So Christianity, we think of it, we think of Sunday 
as game day. Oh man, gotta put on my Sunday best. I'm gonna actually pick that shirt that doesn't have wrinkles. I'm gonna actually do my hair. I'm gonna look good for Jesus because he totally cares about my shirt. You know, it's in the Bible somewhere, like in Leviticus. I don't even know. But I'm gonna be holy for God. Wear my best pants, my best shoes. Totally not because that cute girl's gonna be at church, but it's all for the Lord. And we show up. We're like, it's game day, it's Sunday. I'm gonna actually like listen to something like and pay attention for like maybe 15 minutes and then pretend I'm on the Bible app, but really I'm on Instagram. We think of it as game day though, like this is the day I have to be spiritual. This is the day I have to follow God, it's Sunday. Guys, Sunday is not game day, it's the locker room speech. The rest of the week is your game day. So you show up on Sunday, you're in the locker room, your assistant coach, your youth pastor has been talking to the head coach and he's got the playbook, the Bible, you know, if you're not tracking with me. He's like, hey, I've been reading this playbook and I really think we should run these plays. And you steady them and you're like, okay, everyone got it? All right, all right, go run the plays. And then you enter into your week and, hey, what'd you learn in church today? Um, Jesus. Take notes like your life depended on it. Seriously, write down the things that God is saying and apply them to your life. It's not the game day, it's the locker room speech. This right now, this is the locker room speech. You got a whole year of game day when you go back down there. So let's talk about witnessing. It's super scary. When I was a kid, I told everyone about Jesus. I was like, hey, do you know Jesus? Do you know Jesus? Hey, I think you need to know Jesus. That was me as a young kid. But then I became a teenager and things got awkward. And like, I didn't wanna talk to anyone about anything. You know what, when I was, or I am now, I'm a youth pastor, hi. My name is Aaron. How are you? So I started years, a couple of years ago, five years ago, I don't know. I can't remember. I'm bad with numbers. But I started as a junior high pastor in Calvary Vista when my good friend Trevor went to Maranatha, left me the keys, had no idea what I was doing. And um, I'm doing youth group, and I start studying the book of Acts. I went through the Gospel of John. It was great. It was all about Jesus. Then we got to Acts. Acts is the best sequel of all time. It's like, Jesus died. He rose from the dead. And everyone's like, now what? And Acts is like, now this. Go and bring down fire of the gospel to the world and shape the world. And they say of the men in the book of Acts, these are the men who turned the world upside down. It's awesome. And I was reading it and I was studying it. And um, in the Acts, it's like, hey, you need to go and reach the world with the gospel. So I'm standing in front of junior high kids. I'm like, hey, sixth graders, hey, seventh graders, hey, eighth graders, you go into your schools and you share the gospel. And then the Lord hit me with like this truth conviction bomb. I was sitting in my office looking at Acts and God's like, hey, Aaron, you know how you're telling the kids to share the gospel? Do you? And I was like, I'm a youth pastor. I do every Sunday and like Wednesday and like sometimes other times, you know, I do it. And the Lord was like, he showed me I was living in a Christian bubble. Pastor's kid, I was around Christians 24-7. I went to Calvary Christian School, has Christian in the name. I was around Christians 24-7. I worked in the secular world for like a, like a month in a factory pulling a lever and watching packing peanuts fall into a cardboard box. And then I went right back to the church. I was a janitor. I was a graphics designer. I was a youth pastor. And I just realized like all my entire life, I talked to Christians about Christianity and I never talked to anyone outside that bubble. Anyone here with me? Is that you? Anybody? Yeah, that, that was me. That was me. And the Lord spoke to me and he's like, you can't preach this unless you do it too. And I was like, oh no. 
Now I gotta like exercise my faith and practice what I preach. Shoot, <laughs> that's hard. And it was. So this was my journey. And I'll just try to go through it briefly. I'm gonna tell you guys some stories. So I studied on the weekends. On Saturday, I would usually just hang out at home and study or in my office. The Lord said, go, go out, get out, go somewhere. So I started hitting up different towns, different beach towns around my area. And it all started in Oceanside, downtown Oceanside. I see this guy at a stoplight. And the Lord says in my heart, that's the guy. And I'm like, oh, okay. So I walk up to him. And he's like, hey, man, can you buy me a beer? I'm like, oh, no. (laughs) This is not a good start to this evangelism thing. So I'm irresponsible. Those of you guys who know me well, I'm getting better, but I am. I didn't have my wallet with me. So I use that as my excuse. I can't because I don't have my wallet. Uh, He's like, whatever, man. He walks away. So he walks this way. I start walking this way, and I'm walking. And the Lord starts speaking to me, and the Lord's like, hey, man, go talk to him. And I'm like, no, 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 Lord, you don't understand. Because he started walking that way. He saw me go this way. So if all of a sudden I'm going this way, and I'm like, "That's, that's weird. That's awkward. That's socially awkward. And the Lord was like, do it. I was like, okay. So I start walking towards him. He looks, sees me falling, and he starts booking it. He's like, <laughs> he starts going fast. I catch up to him. I put my hand on his shoulder. I'm like, hey, man, uh, I don't know you, but listen, God loves you. He's got a plan for your life, and he just, oh, he loves you so much, and Jesus died for you. And the guy looks at me, and he's like, thanks, man. I think I needed to hear that. And he totally walked away with like this look on his face, like, I gotta think about some things. And I was just like, thank you. <laughs> So then it continued. Um, a couple weeks later, I'm down in Oceanside again. I'm down by the pier. And there's this little area where skaters hang out, this, where there's these little bleachers. I see these kids on roller skates, and he's just going for it. All these skaters, and he's just like, he's like the one kid on rollerblades. He's just like, yeah. He's, like it's like 1987. He's just going for it. And the Lord's like, him. I'm like, okay. So pretend the mic stands him. So he's like, buckling up his, you know, skates. I'm walking towards him, and I do this. I'm like, (laughs) like, totally just dodged the guy, and he skates off into the sunset. I'm like, oh, I missed my opportunity. I missed my window. Have you ever been there? Have you ever missed that opportunity? The Lord put something in your heart, and you blew it, and you dodged it, and then you feel like a failure, and I sit down. I'm like, Lord, like, I'm not good at this. I hate this. Like, it's so, like, Lord, you know what? Like, just give me another chance, Lord. Give me another chance. And at the time I prayed that, I didn't know what that meant. I thought, bring me someone else. So I'm praying, Lord, give me another chance. Give me another chance. The kid skates up next to me, sits down next to me, and he starts talking to me. I'm just like, Lord, you're real. I didn't know. I always, I always suspected. But now I know. I was like, this is crazy. So, um, so uh, this is going on, and, and it's like week after week, this kind of stuff is happening. Like Saturday is just this day where I'm just, every day I'm talking to at least one person. And it's, it's crazy. And every time I don't want to do it, I'm Jonah, I'm running away, and the Lord just keeps bringing me to it. There's this time, I don't get mad. Any of you guys get mad? Yeah? I don't get mad. Some of my students can tell you, like, there was one time a few of them, like, literally almost destroyed my office and, like, like knocked something over and almost broke everything. And everyone, like, kind of froze and looked at me. And I was just like, I think everyone should leave. 
so I can fix this. Love you guys, you know? But I don't get mad. Anyone get road rage? Oh, man. I'm so weird. I'm so weird. Like, my wife gets road rage. I love her. She, she, she road rages. Like, she, when someone cuts her off, she's like, I'm going to track them down. I'm like Liam Neeson. Like, I have a particular set of skills. I will find you and cut off everyone you know. <laughs> but, like, when someone cuts me off, I'm just like, well, they obviously have some place to be. <laughs> Godspeed, good sir. <laughs> you know. I don't get mad at people. I get mad at machines. When a computer breaks, that's when I turn into Satan. I don't know why. But, um, so anyway, I'm having a bad day, though. And I'm actually mad. It was like the first time in ages. I'm angry, like, like visibly angry. I'm at Albertsons, the best place to be angry. I am running late for a junior high home fellowship, buying supplies, and my dad calls me. See, earlier I had, um, a couple months ago, I had ran a red light. Not like run it, I, I like crawled through it like right turn, just so slow. There was no pedestrians in sight. It was like the rapture had happened on that street corner. It was crazy. And so I, I'm, I turned through it, the camera got me. There's this guy in my church who's like, he sounds like Kronk, and he's like, hey, uh, hey uh, check this out. Uh, here's the deal. I know this Jewish lawyer named Mr. Ticket. You pay that guy 50 bucks, you'll never hear of this again. So I'm just like, sweet, <laughs> thank you. I pay the 50 bucks. Hey, guess what, I heard about it again at Albertsons while I'm late. My dad calls me and says, you just got this letter that you haven't paid this ticket. Like, if you don't pay this in the next week, they're gonna find you like an extra 500 bucks. I am angry. I'm walking through the aisles, Cheez-Its, Nabisco, Oreos, soda. <laughs> I was so mad. I was like, Lord. The, the thing that kills me is when I was driving and I ran the light, I was like on my way to go preach at a school. I was like, Lord, like you're supposed to let us off for stuff like that. We're pastors. Come on. We're exempt. I'm serving you. I should be able to do whatever I want and break all the laws. Just... So I'm angry. And I go outside the store and there's this girl who works at Albertsons and she's sitting on the corner and she's crying. She's got her apron on, mascara's running down her face. And God says her. And I'm like, no, absolutely not. Send someone else. You have so many people. Not now. Not now. This is my time. <laughs> this is my moment. But the Lord says, no, her. I was so upset. And I just, I turned to her and I was like, I was like, hey, she looks up and she's like, what? <sighs> And I go, listen, you're having a bad day? Hey, me too. <laughs> She's like, ah, who are you? And I'm like, hey, listen, I just want you to know something. God loves you. You're his daughter. You're precious to him. He's got a plan for you. This is going to be okay because Jesus is with you. And she stands up. She starts bawling. She gives me a hug. And she says, I'm a Christian. I haven't been to church in six months. I haven't talked to any other Christians. I've been praying for the Lord to send me someone. I was just like, gosh. Lord, I didn't deserve that moment at all. I don't deserve any of the moments. We don't. But he gives them to us. They're there. The Bible actually says that God has gone before you. In Ephesians, I think, the Lord says he has gone before you to prepare good works for you. Did you know that every day 
there are amazing divine appointments all around you just waiting for you to step into. And you're just sitting there like I am all the time, like not me, I'm not the one. And we miss out on the rewards. We miss out on the joy. We miss out on blessing people because we're afraid. Don't be afraid. Let me share with you this. So I'm starting to get a little confident, which is never a good thing. Because I had been sharing the gospel with people. I felt pretty good about it. I was like, hey, you know, I'm getting pretty good at this. I'm totally an evangelist. This is great. I can do this. I can do this. So I'm praying and I'm listening to a Bible study. It's all about evangelism. I'm getting pumped. I'm walking through like a woodsy area. And I'm like praying. I'm like, you know what, Lord, if you send me someone today, I will so preach to them. They will be preached to so that you will not believe the amount they will be preached to. It's going to be awesome. I would totally do that for you, Lord. I kid you not. I kid you not. Like five minutes later, this guy like comes out of the trees, total straight up gangster. And he goes, he's all, what's up, S.A.? I'm like, oh, hi. And he goes, hey, give me your phone. And I'm like, okay. And he goes, I got to call my friends. And he starts calling his friends. And he's like, can you guys pick me up? No. Beep, 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 beep. Like, I'm just like, I'm like terrified. I'm terrified. He turns to me and he goes, you. I'm like, yeah. Can you give me a ride to the beach, homie? I had a, a bad moment. I lied. And it was the worst lie. This is what I said. No joke. This is like in the moment what my brain came up with. I was like, dude, I'm so sorry. I would totally drive you. But my wife just texted me and we're out of grapes and I got to go pick up some grapes. <laughs> he was just like, whatever. It takes off. And the Lord's like, that was your guy. You asked for it, so I gave it to you. That was your guy. Come on, man. You can do this. I'm with you. You're not alone. We can do this together. And I was like, okay. And then I lied again. This is what I said to the guy. I was like, oh, hey, I just got a text. She found some grapes in the back of the fridge. We're all good. I can drive you. <laughs> we get in the car, and I'm talking to this guy. I'm just like, so what's your story, man? And he's like, man, I just got out of prison. <laughs> and he says, you know what, man? Straight up. If it weren't for graffiti, I would have been a mass murderer. And I'm like, why are you telling this to the stranger driving you to the beach? This is not what I want to hear right now. I'm just like, Lord, help, help me. Lord, oh, it, crazy, crazy. I start talking to him out of nowhere. The guy starts opening up and he's like, man, he's like, I could never measure up to my mom's expectations, man. Like, she just set the bar so high. I tried to meet it. I failed every time, man. It's just crazy. I just, I can't be who she wants me to be. I just can't be that guy. I want to be that guy so much, but I can't be that guy. And I, I was, the Lord was like, there you go. That's it. That's your window. And I was like, Lord, I don't have the words. Can you give them to me? So I just start talking to the guy. And I'm like, man, you know what? I'm a pastor to lay all my cards on the table, but... I can't measure up to the standard. I fail every day. I'm imperfect, I'm flawed, and I know it. I know when I mess up, like I feel you. But you know what, man? God, he's got a pretty high standard 
And he knows that we can't meet it, you and me, he knows. So he sent his son Jesus to meet that standard, to be perfect, and then he died for us. And if we follow him, God sees us, and he's like, man, you met the standard, not because of anything you did, because of everything Jesus did. And the guy looks at me, and he goes, when I was in prison, I prayed, and I said, God, I want to know you. I don't know how. Send somebody to tell me what this means. And he looks at me, and he goes, you're that guy. And I was like, wow. Yeah, yeah. I didn't want to be that guy. That's why I lied about the grapes. But in God's mercy, he let me be that guy, which God is so good. And I prayed with that guy to receive Jesus Christ that day. It was such a blessing. Listen, you can do this. I didn't think I could, and I'm a pastor, but I learned that Jesus is with me, so I can do it because he's doing it, and he's just asking me to do it with him. He's just asking me to join alongside him. You can do this because God is with you. You can reach people, and I'm not just talking about talking to strangers on the street. I'm talking about the people in your schools. I'm talking about the friends that you have in your close friend group who don't know Jesus. I'm talking about the relatives who don't know him. I'm talking about everybody. This is our purpose. This is what we're called to, to not just be the people who go to church and fill up. We fill up so we can pour out. And there's a dying world that needs him. I heard a tragic story of a kid who had a father who was just a business guy really absorbed in his work, didn't really spend time with his kids. And that father would come home from work every day, walk straight past his kids, walk upstairs into the upstairs room, unlock the door, and just keep working. And his kids would write notes to him and pass it underneath the door and say, Dad, we love you. Like, Dad, please come out. Please spend time with us. But they never heard back. That's heartbreaking. But God is different. Every time you reach out, every time you call out, he responds. He says, I love you. He never closes that door. The door was closed. Sin closed it, but he opened it for you. He saw that door and he said, I'm going to break that door. I'm not just going to open it. I'm going to destroy it. My death on the cross will completely eradicate that door. And so nothing keeps you from the Father except standing on the other side of the door. You just have to walk through it. The people in the world just have to walk through it. They need this message. They need to know the gospel. I don't know why that was funny. But I'll allow it. He loves you. And he's with you. Now, some of you guys here, if the band wants to come up, we're going to wrap up. Finally, right? I'm sorry. <laughs> but listen, a lot of times we think of pastors as like the people on the front lines of the spiritual battle. And we look at our pastors and we're like, I got to be like him because he's really spiritual. Let me tell you a secret. We're not. We're just like you. We are. We're people. We're humans. We're sinners. 
So you think of a pastor as the person on the front lines of the battle. You know what biblically a pastor is supposed to do? They're not the one on the front line. They're the guy who stands by the door and hands out the sword and the shield and the bow. We're the equippers. And the Lord is calling you to be equipped now to take the sword, to take the shield, and to equip yourself to go out and share with people. It's not about our responsibility. It's about our response to his ability. And we fear failure. We really do. A lot of times this is what keeps us from sharing the gospel. We're afraid of failing. We're afraid of being rejected. I'll tell you one last story and then I'll walk off the stage. So I got together with my youth group a couple years ago when some of these awesome high school kids were still in middle school. I almost thought about showing the video, but they would be so embarrassed and they would hate me and it wouldn't be worth it. You can find it on our YouTube. But we made a video with my kids and it was just them explaining the gospel. It was just them saying, do you know what the gospel is? Do you know what the gospel means? And they just broke it down. It was a great video. The kids nailed it. But we put them on DVDs. We burned them onto DVDs. And then we decided on the last day of the public school system, we would take them to a school called MLK Middle School. And we stood on the sidewalk and we passed out the DVDs and we just said, hey, watch this. You know what happened? It was very interesting. We got like small time persecuted. <laughs> People cussed us out. People broke our CDs in half, our DVDs. So they threw them at us. One kid got cut in the neck by a flying DVD. Yeah. They were like yelling at us, cussing us out. And like, we were passing out. And like, my kids came to me afterwards and they were like, we failed. Like, no one got saved. No, like, we failed. Like, they rejected us. And they looked at me and they're like, we did it wrong. And the Lord just gave me the words. And he's like, no, guys, we did it right because Jesus said this would happen. If we're not being persecuted, we're not, we're not doing it right because we're not doing anything. If we're not being rejected, we're not standing up for anything. And I was like, guys, you know what I saw? Here's the crazy thing. I went down to the skate park after we passed out those DVDs. I saw skaters doing tricks with those DVDs still in their hand. If they weren't gonna watch them, they would have thrown them away a long time ago. And then I heard back later that somehow that video ended up in the hands of some people in Australia and like three girls came to Christ through it. It was so cool to tell my kids, listen guys, we put it out there, but God does the work. Here's what you need to know. You're not responsible to save anybody. You're just responsible for delivering the message and then putting it in God's hands. That takes the weight off. It's not your responsibility. It's your response to his ability. He can do it. We can do it with him. And you need to know that that person you might share the gospel with, yeah, they, they, might, they might blow you off. Yeah, they might reject you. They might tell you to get out of their face. But you have planted a seed in their heart that God is going to grow. And you don't know. But I've heard too many times of a young person who, when they were in sixth grade, someone shared the gospel with them. They rejected it. And now they're a senior. And they told me, Aaron, I was drunk out of my mind. I was high. I was selling drugs. I was cutting, I was lost, I was lonely, I was suicidal, and I was sitting in my room with no hope, and I remembered what someone else told me in sixth grade, and it came back to me, and the light turned on, and now I wanna serve Jesus. That's what God wants to do with you guys. 
So get out there and scatter some seeds. Don't hold back. Let him use you. Preach the gospel, not for Jesus, but with Jesus. Are you with me? Amen. Let's worship.